0: It's Illum Group's Andrea Lay. Views Melissa Burdick, the wizard of Woodland Shree, And I'm PVSB from Flywheel, a division of Omnicom. And I'm coming to you today from the Catskills. i be playing Heckinger's Tuesdays and Thursdays. Before we get to the CBG Guys episode you've downloaded, it's the week of May 6th. And it's time for the fresh four, four curated news stories from the past week. We find them dependably intriguing. We hope you do too. we brought to you through our partnership with RetailWit, your one-stop shop for retail industry intelligence news. RetailWit.com. It's retail right now. Over to you, Sri.
1: In case you're wondering what this background is I'm at, I'm at my father-in-law's house all the way in Chennai, India for the next couple of weeks. So what's the message of the week? Kroger Precision Marketing strikes a partnership with none other than Yahoo DSP. So Yahoo DSP advertisers now have access to KPM's audiences for both reach and measurement. Partnership marks KPM's second DSP partnership since last fall and ushers in a new focus on commerce media for Yahoo advertising in particular. Collaborations like this one will define the next phase of growth in retail media, as retailers recognize the limitations of monetization of their own digital properties and seek incremental growth by expanding off this is set by Sara Marzano, principal analyst and e-marketer, who advertises the delayed but still impending deprecation of third-party cookies, which is now on its way, continues to underpin every decision regarding digital advertising dollars. So solutions that safeguard their investments against that will hold increasing appeal. Over to you, Andrea.
2: Hello, Fresh 4 listeners. Walmart adds a new grocery line to its private brand's portfolio. Walmart has announced a new private label grocery brand called Better Goods. The line includes 300 items spanning categories such as frozen, dairy, snacks, beverages, pasta, soups, coffee, and chocolate. With most items priced under $5, Better Goods focuses on three key components, culinary experiences, plant-based, and made without. The retailer said Better Goods marks not only its largest private food brand launch in two decades, but also its fastest grocery brand brought to market. Over to you, Melissa. Thanks, Andrea. Uh, so Savemark companies roll out in-store retail media networks. It's not enough that we have online. Now we're moving to in-store retail media networks. The Savemark companies plans to roll out in-store connect an in-store retail media network powered by quad graphics. To start, 16 of the grocery company stores will have digital screens, kiosks, end caps, shelf screens, and vertical banners. Throughout, allowing CPG partners to showcase promotions, product information, and recommendations to shoppers. The program will eventually roll out to all of the SaveMart companies' approximately 200 stores. This is SaveMart's latest retail media effort, coming almost a year after a launch of its own retail media network. Over to you, Peter.
0: Thanks, Melissa. Rite Aid expands Uber Eats partnership for alcohol delivery. Eight states, nearly a thousand Right Aid stores will now offer alcohol delivery via retailer's expanded partnership with Uber Eats. Customers of Legal Drinking Aid can get delivery from select stores in California, Idaho, Michigan, New York, Ohio, Oregon, Virginia, and Washington. Quote: Our collaboration and trusted partnership with Uber Eats underscores our commitment to meet evolving needs of our customers and providing a seamless digital shopping experience that complements their busy lives, unquote, said Jeannie Walden, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Rite Aid, the U.S.'s third largest pharmacy retailer. That's it for the fresh for now. On to the CPG Guys episode that you've downloaded. Welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. Our co-hosts, Sri Rajagopalan and Peter V.S. Bond, explore how brands and retailers engage with consumers online, in-store, and everywhere in between. And now, here are Shri and Peter. Hello and welcome to another episode of the CPG Guys podcast. I am one of the aforementioned CPG Guys. My name is Peter V.S. Bond. I'm also the Vice President of Retail Strategy at Power Reviews, a ratings and review software company. And as always... I'm joined by my co-host. He is an expert at e-commerce. He's a genuine entrepreneur. He is the Red Bull to my vodka, the rum to my Coke, and the Thelma to my Louise. He's so famous that people know him by only one name. And next week, he and his partners are launching a new D2C supplement business called Zenfuel that helps people find a healthier, happier existence through science-driven, plant-based solutions. Sri, I think that doesn't, I think that means no chemicals. Please join me in, in welcoming my, my dear friend, Sri. Sri, how are
3: you doing today? Thank you so much, Peter. No chemicals, indeed. But I was hoping you'd say the Luke Voigt to my Garrick I'm, Cole. I'm waiting for that moment. But mm-hmm. it's a particularly good week when we have an awesome guest. And also because our Yankees and Dodgers are in the playoffs and they've made it past the wildcard round. They're playing their respective division series. And Peter still can't control himself because he never thought the Yankees would qualify. And here we are, but more importantly, we're also kicking off and right in the middle of our month for breast cancer awareness and featuring female leaders, and we're proud to have such a female leader today. And for each of the eight episodes that we will be featuring this month, the CPG guys will actually donate a dollar for the first 250 downloads of the podcast to Susan Komen. So I'm excited, and thank you, Peter. It's a pleasure doing this with you.
0: Yeah, yes, Tree. We're really excited about supporting Breast Cancer Awareness Month with this program. And, and we encourage our listeners to share the news and have their friends download our podcast because we really want to max out our contribution. Uh, as a reminder to our audience, all of our content are audio podcasts on 15 platforms, our YouTube channel, our list of favorite podcasts, our LinkedIn page, and our documents on the e-commerce profitability series that we're doing, you can all access those by simply going to cpgguys.com. That's cpgguys.com. And while you're walking around the house and you want to be entertained, don't forget to ask Alexa to play the CPG Guys podcast. I probably just set off 12 or 15 different Alexa devices in people's households. I apologize, but there it is. Um, for those of you who are watching on our YouTube channel, you will notice that I am wearing a drizzly t-shirt. I am also consuming uh, a wonderful uh, Mount Gay and Tonic. Mount Gay is made by Remy Quantro, which is one of the newest clients of Power Reviews. So I have to put that plug in and be transparent about it. But I got this from Beverage Boss. And Beverage Boss is part of the drizzly marketplace that had this wonderful bottle of liquor drip delivered right to my house, and anyone who knew and watched us on on Instagram and on LinkedIn knew that Shri and I were the night of the first debate playing a little uh, sip competition based upon uh, search word. We love it. We love SEO, and if they were using particular words well, we were we were probably imbibing during the during the debate. So in any event, why am I why am I talking about this? Well, I'm talking about that because our guest today is with Drizzly. They've made quite a number of deliveries to the Bond household during this wonderful pandemic. I want to make that transparent too. And my company, Power Reviews, has established a partnership with them where brands who generate authentic content can share that for display on Drizzly's site. On product pages, our guest today is a new COO of Drizzly, and I have known her for about six years. We worked together at CVS Health where most recently she served as the vice president of Omni Channel Digital. She has some great Ivy League credentials with degrees from Princeton and Penn, got to mention that, some blue chip consulting experience, and she even interned the summer of her MBA at Diageo. And I think all of that makes her extremely qualified to assume the operating role at Drizzly. So please join me in welcoming Kathy Lewinberg. Kathy, welcome to the podcast. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing so great. Peter and Sri, thank you guys so much for having me today. I'm really excited to to be here. Day two uh, of Q4, which is obviously the biggest time of the year, although we'll see how that, how that pans out this year. But um, just really excited to be here and to be able to tell a little bit of the, the Drizzly story.
0: Oh, that's terrific, Kathy. Thanks. Before we get into the questions Sri and I prepared, can you tell us a little bit about Drizzly and what your role involves there?
2: Sure. So as you mentioned, I'm in the chief operating officer role. And so I lead both the, the day-to-day operations across the across the team. And I'm also helping to position us for the future so we can uh, hopefully maintain the, the position we have in the industry. We are the leading beverage alcohol marketplace, and we work very closely with retail partners to basically digitize the bottles that are sitting on their physical shelves bringing them online and then consumers can come to the Drizzly marketplace can browse for certain brands put together their basket complete an order and then we send those orders down to the retailer who then does the final mile delivery partnership either directly themselves or in partnership with third-party delivery partners
0: that is terrific thank you for that description and we're going to dig into what a marketplace means because I come from a background where I'm very involved in understanding the legal ramifications. So we're going to dig a little deeper and you're going to help us hopefully understand that. But uh, let's start off the questions. Sri and I will interchange. First question for you, Kathy, is you came from running Omnichannel Digital at CVS Health, which I think is by latest measures a Fortune 5 company. And all of a sudden you decide to go to this this emerging little startup (laughs) called Drizzly. What was the appeal to you about both the company and the role?
2: Yeah, that, that's a great question. I know, I think I, think I shocked a few people when, uh, when I made the announcement about the transition. There, there's really two things I'll highlight here. I think the first, obviously, I've now had more than 15 years of pro- professional experience under my belt. And as you reflect on, you know, the different jobs and the roles and opportunities I've had, there are a lot of things that stand out that just have been phenomenal and really things that I just love to do. And when I heard about the Drizzly Opportunity, It was like the perfect mix of everything I love to do. It was very much around building a high-performing team, helping to set a vision and strategy, bringing some of my strategy expertise in. And it was just a, a tremendous fit also from a value standpoint. So as I got to know the team and work with the people, care and solve are two core values. And it really comes through in everybody you meet, everything they do. And it just was a really, really perfect fit on, on both those fronts. I think the second point, I mean, you mentioned it, I, wor- I worked in the, the alcohol space in a few different, ind- you know, few different times throughout my career from a supplier side, from a cons- the consulting side, and then even uh, while at CVS, in, from a food and beverage standpoint, run- running the business there, uh, worked closely to, to really understand the alcohol industry. And it is just ripe for disruption. And so you know, that was something that I've always thought. And so Drizzly is really the one that is so well positioned to do the disrupting. If you look at any charts around categories and online penetration, there's always one that's a huge category and just very, very minimal penetration from an online sales standpoint, and it's alcohol. And so really was just excited about kind of tackling that opportunity and being able to play a role with kind of the different mix of backgrounds and experience they have coming and helping to, to lead some of that disruption.
3: Very good. Shree? Awesome, Kathy. First of all, I want to thank you for making time and joining our show today, as well as get into a category that we haven't discussed much, 20, 30 episodes deep into the show, which is alcohol and liquor. Like you say, Kathy, I came from a deep e-commerce and omni-channel background, and uh, this category is absolutely ripe for the disruption. But my day has been made because prior to chatting with you, I just realized I may never have to go into a liquor store or a wine shop again in New York City. And I also noticed the prices are somewhat a little cheaper than going in store. So um, it's a double win and we solved a big problem for Shree Go Forward. That said, Kathy, you looking at your career history, you joined Drizzly, you know, you were just referring to how it was a sudden announcement and you probably surprised a lot of people, but you joined Drizzly a couple months, let's say 45, 60 days into arguably what we'd say the beginning of the pandemic here in the United States. And as this pandemic was kind of getting a little bit out of control and skyrocketing, I'm sure Drizzly must have been hit with times where everyone has to work double duty, a lot of demand surging and stores were closed, et cetera. And the rumor mill even says that senior executives had to work customer service lines. In this sort of environment, what did you even walk into? Is it what you were expecting? And then how did you even set a learning agenda and what you'd want to do in like the first 30, 60, 90 days, and now clearly 180 days in?
2: You know, I don't think anyone was prepared to have their their volume grow 4x in literally a matter of, you know, hours. And that's exactly what happened there in March. And so, and, and you're right, we had our CEO helping field kind of customer service, everybody, you know, like I mentioned, our core values are, are care and solve, and every single person across the company was kind of rolling up their sleeves just to help make sure we could support our customers in the right way, both our retail partners as well, you know, as well as our end consumers there. And I think they really, given the way our network is structured, where the retailers are the ones that are doing a lot of the delivery, and then obviously we could supplement with third party there, we actually were able to absorb the volume better than a lot of other players out there. I know um, just looking across the delays that were there, you know, scheduling weeks ahead, we maybe were scheduling a day ahead or or hours ahead versus the typical under an hour delivery that we have. But so I would start with just kind of, I, I was actually pretty impressed with how Drizzly was able to absorb the shock to the system. That said, it definitely tested us on many, many fronts. And by the time I got there in May, I I don't know if it felt like it, but they had really gotten a lot of the, the big things under control. And so I was able to come in and, you know, there were really four areas I was focused on. The first one was just getting to know the people and really building the strong relationships. And obviously, being in the remote environment, I still have yet to meet a vast majority of the company in person, which is a little bit shocking when you feel like you're close friends at this point. But I'm looking forward to to when that day comes when I can actually meet them. But it was really about building the relationships. I know that in order to be effective, particularly in this remote, in this remote, remote world, you have to have the trust. So it starts with a trust. So while my, you know, desire was to jump right in and to really start to put out the fires, I realized, you know, there weren't any urgent, urgent burning fires. And so I took the time to really get to know the people. And that included things like smaller group sessions. So I probably met 70% of the entire company within that first month or two. The second was making sure I really understood the business model. So we do a tremendous job with an onboarding. We have a really in-depth onboarding program and I took it along with, you know, our customer experience team members and our product team members and our engineers and, you know, all the new folks that were onboarding at the same time. And it was just a wonderful way to really make sure I had the right foundation, spent a lot of time in the data, really understanding kind of what was happening and then just taking, you know, assessing the state of the state. So where could I be most helpful? You know, spending time with our CEO and some of the other leaders, where did they think I would be able to make the biggest impact up front? And so to your point, you know, the 30, 60, 90, there were some pretty clear plans there. I will say the one area where we thought I would be probably more helpful actually turned out to be in a pretty good spot. There it was certainly work to be done, but we had a good roadmap and I ended up pivoting a little bit in and leaning in some other areas. And then I think the biggest thing towards the end of my first month that we spent a lot of time doing was pivoting the whole company and really kind of resetting for the back half of the year. We hit our full year goals in the middle of May. And so then it was like, instead of just seeing you know all these charts where we were just beating, you know, the full year targets and which of course, you know, we were glad to, to obviously have been impacted in a positive way. Unlike the majority of companies right now, we spent a lot of time kind of assessing what do we need to do? What do we need to focus on the back half of the year? How do we make sure we have the right foundation in place? To support our new scale and knowing kind of where we're going over the next 12 to 18 months and so that was a big reframing that happened shortly after i started and um it's been uh yeah been been a lot of focus on execution since then
3: you know that's the kind of environment peter and i love once where you hit your annual goals by may of the year but but three
0: you remember you remember the old adage from cpg no good deed goes unpunished when planning for the next year she oh, talked about the reset. Hopefully you don't face that fate. But in any event, that's really, that's really terrific. Let me double click down on something you talked about, which was meeting with people and what have you. I mean, effectively leading an operational team when everybody is all of a sudden highly distributed has got to be pretty challenging. What are some of the practices, tools, and other things that you really focused on to ensure your team was highly connected and wasn't skipping a beat when they weren't all in the same office doing work together?
2: And surprisingly, Grizzly had a very much an in-office culture prior to the pandemic. So unlike a lot of other kind of digital or tech tech companies, uh, they did tend to spend a lot of time kind of physically together. And so I think there was a little bit of worry as we transitioned into the remote space, what would happen. And, and obviously, you know, everyone transitioned really, really well. And there were a few things that we were very intentional about. I think one was just being extremely visible staying connected with the team we increased and you know i inherited this when i started they had already made the change but uh increasing our company meetings which had been monthly prior to weekly and we created certainly it was a great forum just to keep everybody up to speed in the early days it was very much like okay we're extending our remote you know remote work another week another couple weeks now it's going to be another few months it looks like right and just keeping everybody really up to speed on the pulse of what was happening also, making sure everyone was clear on like what was happening with the business, where were their pain points, where do we need to double down and focus, uh, progress against our goals. Certainly, our key leaders were meeting daily, you know, for the first couple of months, multiple times a day, um, just to make sure we were delivering and, and supporting our, our teams. We were able to pull back on, on that level of frequency, and the and the weekly really really helped keep everybody connected. The second thing I would say. Just creating safe spaces for people to open up and and to have the connection. So, I mean, we use a lot of different tools and this has been wonderful. Actually, we, we are on Slack all the time, obviously using video connections. We email. There's a lot of different ways that we're staying connected. That has been extremely, extremely effective. But creating the safe spaces where people can reach out and, and share spots, uh, you know, share what's most important to them. So creating listening circles, that's been really important. A few times, even in that company meeting, we do anonymous Q and A, so people can ask anything. And we've gotten all the questions for you know, we obviously uh, one of the changes we made in the summer was we changed some of our benefits, right? Commuter benefits weren't really relevant anymore, and so how can we uh, give people lifestyle benefits to help them uh, kind of promote some of that culture of Drizzly in their in their home. And so we would get every you know questions from benefits all the way to really you know hard challenging strategic questions and our leadership team tackles them all head on, um, and so I think that just creates this sense of trust and transparency that was really appreciated and and still is to this day, and then the last thing is just being extremely flexible, right? We have you know through the listening circles you'll get a lot of feedback what's working where's there opportunity things like. Even, you know, we've kind of over the Zoom fatigue, right? We kind of over video chatted. And so now we're kind of pulling back, shortening the length of meetings, changing the time of day of our weekly meetings. So really trying to be sensitive. I think the one thing that's been very consistent, there is not a one size fits all solution. So we're doing things like recording all our videos, uh, you know, our, our important meetings so people can follow up on their own time. Uh, especially sensitive to caretakers. We did a lot of meetings right before school kicked off to understand how could we support them. And everybody's situation was totally different. Even for those of us in Massachusetts, every town is doing something different. And so we have just, you know, maintained flexibility and made sure people feel comfortable kind of raising their hands and and telling us what's most important to to make sure we can support them.
0: That's great, Kathy. I'll say when I joined Power Reviews, I was probably twice the age of 90% of my colleagues and to your point about uh, willing to take any questions, I, the biggest shock to me, coming from a very uh, corporate type of an environment, was just the directness of the questions that would be posed to the CEO. It was it was um, it was uh, different for me. We'll just say that.
2: Same, same here. Yeah, it's been it's been interesting, and and I appreciate that. You know, I think it's great yeah. that we have that level of transparency and comfort, and that's something that I think is a. Uh, is important uh, to, to maintain, so.
3: Yeah. So I'm going to jump into a little bit of the technicalities of the business because the word marketplace comes to mind. And, you know, when one thinks of marketplace, especially if you're in the omnichannel space, Amazon and the third-party marketplace immediately comes to mind where uh, sellers transact, vendors transact, and consumers can buy product directly from those vendors. eBay is another one. Uh, and, And these are the common ones people are used to. When I think of your company, Drizzly, the word marketplace is what comes to the top of my forehead and, you know, outside of the Amazons and the Ebays, I haven't come across a ton of marketplaces, but this is an industry, beer, wine, alcohol, where regulation is the norm. And there is something called a tight house law. Would you mind decomposing for us and our listeners, you know, how all of these come together? Why a marketplace how does this work, and what what is this Spidehouse law that a marketplace actually works with so that consumers can actually receive their product when they order it from drizzly?
2: yeah, absolutely, and you know it is it is a really good question, and that's you know one of the things that really attracted me to drizzly was the commitment to compliance um I think that is just a key differentiator, and obviously everybody in alcohol is is extremely committed to compliance, but we Spent a lot of time, especially in our early days, just figuring out how to how to make this work. And so so obviously coming out of prohibition back in the 1900s, the three tier system was established and that, you know, you have your retailers, you have your wholesalers who act as the middle person and then you have your um, suppliers. Suppliers, wholesalers, retailers, and, you know, in typical CPG, you have your general mills and they'll take Cheerios and they'll go and work directly with grocery stores on how to activate their brands. So whether it's slotting fees to get them on the shelf or, you know, promotions and marketing dollars to really tell the story, uh, you know, of of Cheerios. In the alcohol industry, it's very different. You're not able, you don't have that direct point of contact from a retailer to, to, with the supplier. And so they're not able to give funds directly to activate brands. And so um, there's just a lot of complexity there. The same time uh, it's de- you know, a lot of the regulation happens at the state level. And so every state is a little bit of different, you know, a little bit different. You have control states, who, you know, that, that have different rules. And so, you know, that's where if you go to, to Massachusetts, you'll see there's limited number of licenses stores can have versus, you know, California has different rules. And so there's just a lot of complexity on what you can do, um, within the space. It's also allowed for just a really highly fragmented retailer network in general. So as you look across the, the country, there isn't you know one uh, retailer that really stands out that has the market share for alcohol. It's really spread across a number of independents and mom and pops in addition to, to some of the larger, obviously kind of pure play alcohol stores and grocery stores and mass stores. Um, and Drizzly's point of difference is we really focused on the independents and mom and pops and these small, you know, small chains, and have built a ne- you know this network of several thousand stores to to serve up alcohol for consumers. And so they can come onto Drizzly, they'll type in their address, and they start from a place of usually searching for a particular brand or type of alcohol. And then we will serve up whatever stores are in their delivery zone that have that, that brand available, and then they can shop from there. And so it's, you know, we obviously, again, have a really tremendous industry affairs uh, team and legal team. And so they're kind of in the know on all the regulations. and And certainly, especially as of late, there's been a lot of change. And so we're constantly kind of staying close. What's happening in certain states? How are we reflecting that in what we serve up on from an experience standpoint? And then I think the other nuance is that we actually, because we power the three tiers versus actually falling in a single tier, There's a lot of things we can do from a marketing standpoint with the suppliers to bring them as close as they can be in a legally compliant way to the point of purchase and the end consumer. And so that's a really powerful point of difference, given the role we play from from a technology and and solutions provider versus actually being in one of the single tiers.
3: Just a quick follow-up question on the technicality. How many cities or towns is Drizzly servicing these days?
2: Grows every day, Sri. Um, okay, uh, last enough. I checked, it's about 1,300 uh, different markets.
3: And I'm guessing the footprint is way more than just cities and towns, given that it's 1,300 already.
2: Yes, we're in about, thir- I think, 34 states, hopefully soon to be 35. And yeah, we we continue to expand. And I think one of the great things is, right, We have we have data telling us where people are searching for Drizzly. So we have markets where we're not even live yet. It's not even legal to, to have alcohol delivery. And we're seeing tremendous demand for, for Drizzly. And so, you know, we'll work with those local markets and, and governments. And, and as they open up and allow for delivery, that's obviously, you know, we we launch and uh, it's, it's been highly effective. But.
0: Okay, let's get to the next question. So you're a privately held company. And yet I am on an email list where I am getting... All of these fabulous Bev alcohol insights. I saw a consumer survey report a couple of months ago. I mean, this is, I gotta be, I don't know about you, Shree, but this is pretty unheard of (laughs) from my perspective. So I'm kind of curious why you're doing that and what do you hope the industry learns from it?
2: No, I I think that's a great question, Peter. We, um, if you think back to the core values of care and solve, you know, we think about care, it's threefold. We care for each other as employees, we care for our retail partners, and then we care for others in the industry. And just given the network that we've built, you know, we know that we're the only ones that really have visibility into this highly fragmented independent um, space. And so we, we think it's part of our responsibility to help people just understand what's happening there and we hope, you know, our retailers are using it in particular to help kind of navigate what is happening. You know, they're, they're independents trying to operate at this local level. And so that's really who the audience is targeting. But we know suppliers benefit from it, certainly, you know, others in the industry uh, as well. And so and I think the specific report you're talking, we have our Bevelk Insights newsletter that we just yeah. launched through there. We served up our, you know, consumer report. And then I think one of the, the interesting nuances, obviously, there were just a ton of trend changes that happened with the pandemic. And we felt it yep. was our responsibility to really share out what was happening to help you know, make everybody a little bit smarter. I think the other thing that's interesting, just given our target consumer, they tend to be slightly on the younger, more urban side. And so we'll pick up on and, and they want to be in the know. So they'll kind of lean into innovation and, and trends earlier than I would probably, what I would consider more than masses. And so we can help pick up early trends that then retailers can take and activate in their in their physical stores as well.
3: Brilliant, thank you. So we just talked a little bit about the report that was put out, uh, but if a mom & Paw store chooses to partner with you, what can they receive back from Drizzly in terms of learnings about the sale and just insights in general is data sharing just the norm here? And how does the partnership work with a given retailer?
2: Yeah, we, we have a uh, very strong partnerships with with our retailers and we really look at it as our goal is to help them understand what's happening from an omnichannel standpoint, not just from a Drizzly standpoint. And so we'll work with them to understand their larger goals and then we'll set up the program on Drizzly uh, to work to support that. So whether they're optimizing around margin, um, you know, we'll give guidance, we look at things like delivery zones, uh, you know, minimums on the site that will help move the needle if they're trying to, to grow their drizzly volume. Um, and so we come in and, and give some pretty specific uh, recommendations and, and partner with them to help figure out the right program for them, kind of to drive their larger goals. The other thing that's been really effective and a lot of people partner with, with us on uh, assortment recommendations. So we can, like I said, we'll come in and say, you know, items not carried. Um, give some guidance around kind of what's moving in their, in their area um, in other similar markets and give some, give some recommendations there and then just best practice sharing. We'll say, you know, especially when you look across states where there's, you know, people aren't, they're, they're not directly competing. And so we'll say, you know, we'll, we'll profile uh, best practices that are happening in certain areas and share those to, to help everybody become a little bit more operational efficient as well.
0: Uh, Kathy, you referenced your marketing capabilities. While you've been talking about the retailers, there are also all these wonderful brand manufacturers that are out there that want to engage with consumers. Can you tell us how Drizzly enables these brands to engage with consumer shopping on your marketplace, particularly as it relates to Sri's very favorite topic, which is uh, media?
2: Yeah, so there are a a few different ways we partner. Um, We do a lot of on-site media and so everything from banners, uh, sponsored listings, uh, brand pages, and then we also will partner uh, from a customer relationship standpoint. And so uh, emails and social, so that's a big focus and, and certainly of interest for, for a lot of our supplier partners. We've started to do more with offsite media as well. And then the, the third piece is really around the data. And so they can certainly get access to data uh, certainly, we we share the kind of performance of the marketing activities they're doing with us, but then they can buy in to better understand their share on our marketplace. Um, one of the things we've started to do, and we're kind of formalizing the offering here, but looking a little bit more at inventory and kind of out-of-stock reporting so that they can better manage uh, down to the kind of more local level, kind of what's happening uh, to really maximize maximize their sales.
0: Yeah, I'm seeing as I'm scrolling through my Instagram feed constantly, opportunities where brands are advertising that says, and you can buy our alcohol on Drizzly, just click here to shop now. So I can certainly see the stuff you're doing offsite. So congratulations.
3: So I was just about to ask how the offsite placements work, but I think Peter answered it. (laughs) And and so I want to just spend another quick 30 seconds on retail media. So if um, anyone from our audience wants to chime in and partner with you folks on the retail media aspects, how would they do that?
2: They would start with brands.drizzly.com and so they can go on and register there and from there we always start with your data do we have the right products descriptions and images loaded onto our site it doesn't matter how great the marketing is if we're not able to activate your brand or your, your product um, appropriately because we don't have images right like that it's not going to be a great roi for you and so we start by making sure we have everything kind of loaded and that it's pulling through. Um, appropriately once we do that we then would work with to understand the needs of the supplier what are they trying to accomplish again you know there's obviously a lot of regulations here and so we're really sensitive to kind of m- making sure we're, we're compliant in, in everything we're doing here and then we'll build programs and, and activate
1: them together
3: so just staying on the question just so uh, the audience can understand do you then run it like a partnership agency to agency with larger brands or is this more you work with sales teams?
2: It depends on how the supplier team is structured, to be honest. So in a lot of cases, we're working directly with their head of e-commerce and in other cases, it's, um, you know, they'll pull in brands and we'll work directly with brands. So it's a little bit different um, depending on, on how they're structured, but we um, think of ourselves a little bit as, as an agency in that respect.
3: Got it, and then I'm assuming there's a site on-site SEM that's offered up as well. Um, yes. Yep. And so, so thank you for thank you for answering all of those. So I want to come back to the website itself. You know, it's a you know as we've been discussing these questions today, kind of it is a marketplace, and a marketplace doesn't really leave you a lot of room for user experience and design, given a marketplace tends to be more of the nature of product listings. And really, retailers need to own a large part of those product listings while, as you've already said, you would advise on the assortment and what those listings should contain. So from a user experience and browsing perspective, what's in the future for Drizzly? And are you guys paying attention to it? And what can consumers expect in terms of finding the exact product that they want quickly and from a location nearby? So indeed, that quickly does come true.
2: Yeah. I mean, so it starts by having supply. (laughs) So ideally, you know, as we continue to expand our network, when no no matter where you are, when you put in your address, if alcohol delivery is legal in, you know, for, for you, we're able to serve up at least some, some, sort of offerings. And so we continue to invest in certainly adding more to the network. From there, you know, our catalog, we do have the largest uh, beverage alcohol catalog in the world, and we continue to make that even better. So things like partnering with the brands to pull through the images. And then you have things um, like our partnership with Power Reviews to make sure we're serving up the right information that our consumers need to make the best choice for, for, for themselves. And so um, you'll see more happening in that space. And then the last thing, you know, I think everybody's uh, it's, it's top of mind for everybody, but certainly personalization and how can we do more to make sure we're helping navigate our customers to the best products for, for them uh, based on you know, diff- different cues.
3: And then part of that is being able to come back and look at the previous order and reorder it again or put subscriptions. Is that all just par for the course at this point?
2: Yes, I I would say, you know, we're kind of exploring it all. I think, you know, given the change in over the last few months, we're certainly spending a lot of time right now talking to our customers and making sure we understand what's most important and valuable and kind of resetting our our roadmap going forward. But there will certainly continue to be enhancements coming through the uh, Drizzly.com website as well as app.
3: And then one of the other areas where consumers look for user experience is more on the Price value shopping, which means promos, offers. I know the website has a section on promos and offers. Uh, Do you see that developing even further as you tie into deeper partnerships with retailers and with brands perhaps?
2: Yeah, I mean, that the, the pricing is retailer-led. And so when they're running promos, we certainly will activate those on our site. And so it's very much um, up, up to them to, to figure out what's going to make sense depending on their larger goals. Um, and so promos is certainly one of the many factors that go into the decision for the consumer. So,
0: so Kathy, with all this rapid growth, usually that means you got to bring, bring more people on. So I'm kind of curious from your standpoint, And for our audience listening, what are some of the talent areas in particular that you're seeking to take Drizzly to the the next level in terms of its business development?
2: Peter, you know, what what I can say wholeheartedly is across the board we're hiring
0: all the above.
2: Every single team to be honest. uh, you know, we came into the year uh, preparing for for certainly modest growth, and we expected to grow our team somewhere in the 40, 45 percent range. And we're now going to be growing our team about one hundred and fifty percent this year. Uh, about it too. Uh, probably the majority of those folks will have joined in this remote only world, so it's a little bit fascinating. But um, uh, some of the big ones are certainly engineering, uh, product management, marketing, our retail operations, and strategy team um supplier partnerships so we'll you'll see more coming uh, in as we continue to expand that team and our capabilities there and then you know even our people team our finance team so really really just across the board and i think part of it is we were very much a startup we were small and nimble and you know we just reached a different scale and now it's time to 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 make sure we can really deliver on our our longer term goals that are going to be here probably sooner than we know it so
3: Thank you. So the, you know, sticking to the theme of the longer term goals are going to be sooner than you know it. You know, now we fast forward to May of 2021. Kathy has been at Drizzly as CEO for a year now. What would you have, if you want to look back and say this was an awesome 12 months for Drizzly, what are those one or two or maybe three things that you feel you would have need to accomplish to be able to declare that this was indeed an awesome year for Kathy and Drizzly? Uh
2: a good question. I pro- probably should check with the CEO to make sure he's aligned uh, with, with what I think would be successful. But, um, you know, I think the first one is just a positive impact on, on our people and culture. Uh, we have a tremendous culture of caring. Uh, it's something that's really unique. And like I said earlier, it's something that certainly was was a major attraction for me, you know, coming to Drizzly in the first place. And I'm hoping that I can just help um, kind of amplify that culture and really come in and, and help people realize their full potential, right? One of my jobs is to kind of help uh, unlock more resources and to help people move faster. And so, so that's definitely uh, one, one area of focus. I think the second one is just bringing a little bit of, of structure and order. Um, I think that's a normal transition for any kind of startup as they become a slightly more mature company. You know, you want to maintain that agility and nimbleness and the, the kind of uh, scrappiness that comes from being a startup, but um, do it in a way that allows us to scale. So by bringing in structure, making sure so we can make the best decisions for Grizzly. And so that's a, a little bit of what I've been bringing to the table. And then I think the last one is, yeah, just hopefully we're, we're a bit closer to that that overall disruption that uh, I said, we're really excited to, to be going after. And um, yeah, so we'll see.
3: I, for one, I'm going to be a loyal enthusiast of Grizzly and forward, and then really track this journey, go forward. I just think this is an awesome marketplace. Welcome to the club, Sri. Let me remind our audience that to
0: access all of our content, our podcasts, our YouTube video channel, a list of all the podcasts that we listen to when we're not listening to ourselves, uh, and the companion material for our e-commerce profitability series that is running concurrently with uh, with Breast Cancer Awareness Month, just go to cpgguys.com. And also, we'd love if you would leave us a rating on the Apple podcast platform by visiting tinyurl.com slash Apple CPG podcast. Kathy, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a fabulous conversation we are so happy that you taught us a lot about Drizzly and introduced it to Sri because he's going to be one of your loyal shoppers now and, and helping us understand alcohol, beverage, and e-commerce. So thank you.
2: Well, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure today.
3: Kathy, thank you so much again for coming on board and then also helping up, open up a new category of discussions here on the CPG guys, which is alcohol, liquor, beer, and wine, et cetera.
0: Great shri as always thank you for joining me on this magical mystery tour of ours yes sir thank you indeed all right and thanks to our audience we look forward to you joining us on the next episode of the cbg guys goodbye the content in this podcast episode is provided for general informational purposes only by listening to our episode, you understand that no information contained in this episode should be construed as advice from CPG Guys LLC or the individual author, hosts, or guests, nor is it intended to be a substitute for research on any subject matter. Reference to any specific product or entity does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by CPG Guys LLC. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or or any entity they represent. The views expressed by CPT Guys LLC do not represent the views of their employers or the entity they represent. CPT Guys LLC expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct, indirect, incidental, special, consequential, or other damages arising out of any individual's use of, reference to, or inability to use this podcast or the information we present in this podcast.